0: i'd put dave in drag at some sort of bar close to your house right see if he could lure so he could be a
1: sort of agent provocateur
2: yeah because dave and i look very different from each other so you know that might work
1: well (laughs) especially if i was in drag i look very different from you but uh, but but i i would add irresistible
0: Smashing Security, Episode 282, Raising Money Through Ransomware, China's Mega Leak, and Hackers for Hire, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 282. My name is Graham Cluley.
2: And I'm Carol Terrio.
0: And this week on the show, Carol, we are joined by...
1: Cyberwire's David Bittner. Hello. Nice to be back. Thank you for inviting me. Always fun to join you. So the yeah, pleasure is mine.
2: Exactly. We're so glad to have you here. <laughs> it's an honor and a privilege. <laughs> um How about we thank this week's sponsor, Bitwarden? It's support that helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up in today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm going to be explaining how to make money from a
0: ransomware infection. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> what about you, Dave?
1: I've got the story of upward of a billion records being released on the dark web.
2: Oh, God, it's going to be a fun show. And I'm delving into the murky world of digital mercenaries. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security.
0: Now, chums, chums, I want you to cast your mind back to Christmas 2019, those innocent, heady days The snow is falling, the bells are jingle jangling before lockdown. Mm. There was some sort of news about bad things going on in China, but we thought, that's a long way away from us. It's
2: never going to (laughs) reach us. Well, you did. You thought that. You thought that. Yeah, right. Despite Uh, me telling you repeatedly. Yes, we have that on record I think as well.
0: <laughs> and um when you when when you think about Christmas, you, I don't know about you, but I sort of think of a European Christmas markets going around, having a little tangerine with a candle sticking out the top, the smell of cinnamon, mulled
2: wine. Yeah. Yes, hmm.
0: Santa hats. It's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. Maybe you'd go somewhere like Maastricht in the Netherlands. Would you enjoy that? Ever been yes. to Maastricht? No. No, no me. Can't say I've had the pleasure. I'm sure it's lovely. And on the 23rd of December 2019, the University of Maastricht was hit by a ransomware attack. The buggers had waited until just before Christmas, before unleashing their attack, the Klopp ransomware. I love that, Clop. I do, I do. <laughs> there is something about me which quite likes the Klopp ransomware. Purely. From its name, whereas you get some ransomware which has really sort of macho names, you know, sort of darkness or black matter and all those sort of things. I think something which sounds a little bit like uh, you dropping off kids at the swimming pool, uh, oh. sound of a clop, I think, is, is, is rather good. But, of course, it's not that pleasant. It's not as pleasurable as what I'm describing because the clop ransomware was deployed to 267 Windows servers at Maastricht University and encrypted all their files and demanded a ransom be paid for their recovery.
2: So same old, same old so far. Yeah. Same Mm -hmm. old, same Mm -hmm. old.
0: Well, there's no such thing as a good time for an organization to be hit by a cyber attack. And the Krumbo holidays pose a particular challenge. Many staff had to change their plans. They decided to come in rather than (laughs) hang out with their families over the Christmas season. Actually,
2: We have to to remember, yeah, I was just going to say, we have to remember that we've all gone through that now. But back in 2019, this was a brand new thing. You would have felt very put upon the fact that you wouldn't be able to leave and go see your family, wouldn't you?
0: (laughs) Well, I think some people, if you've been, if you've got the prospect of being Trapped oh. with your family between Christmas and New Year. They'd actually, oh, problem in the office. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. What a shame. Yes, I'll definitely come in. I, I'm very keen.
2: Line me up. <laughs> Triple pay. I'm there. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, as many as 200 employees, apparently, from the University of Maastricht, they came in. They didn't spend their Christmas holidays snoozing on the sofa, watching movie repeats. They worked instead. And everyone was pulling together to try to get ready for the return of 19,000 students who were due to show up at the university on the 6th of January.
2: I wonder if their bosses gave them like a you know roast dinner in a can or Christmas dinner in a can or something just to help them celebrate a little bit.
0: I'm sure they would have done. They would
1: have come around with a trolley, wouldn't they, and <laughs> handed out something. It's a tray of, of uh, processed meats and cheeses and crackers. Yeah.
0: It would be, I'm sure they would have done that. Now, the obvious question arose, should the university pay the ransom or not? And they concluded that they should. They said – Our decision, well, well, they said their decision was entirely focused on the interests of the students, the staff and the institution. They said, obviously, we don't like paying the bad guys, but students will suffer. You know, they they had little idea as to how students were going to suffer just a few months later because of the pandemic. But they thought students are going to suffer. We're not going to be able to educate them easily with all this ransomware around. It's locked up our servers. So we're going to pay the money.
2: We Mm. should clarify, though, when you say, like, you know, they obviously encrypted their files, they also Mm. had access to their files, presumably, as well, right, because they encrypted them. So all that information in there, do you know if it was PII stuff? I don't know. I don't know.
0: It's only locked up the computers. I don't know how much was exfiltrated, if anything, or whether that was part of the plan. but.
1: And back in 2019, were they doing the double extortion yet? I'm yeah. trying to remember when that kicked in, right? Were they threatening to put the information out there in public, or have we not crossed that path, or crossed that threshold yet? <laughs>
0: Certainly not as popular as it is today as a technique. Yeah. I think we can safely say that. So the university, they paid 200,000 euros, $220,000 mm-hmm. um, in the form of cryptocurrency ransom. Nice little earner, nice Christmas present for the hackers. And so the university got the decryptor, was able to bring the students back, welcome them back on the 6th of January, conducted their exams for the kids, more or less as planned, little or no irreparable damage. Huzzah, huzzah, huzzah. And (laughs) you can read about this at the time. And actually, I think the university did a really good job. You can watch a presentation they gave all about what had happened. They were very transparent. They worked with a Dutch cybersecurity firm called Fox IT, who are very good. It was a really great example of how to handle it, although some people won't have liked that the ransom was actually paid. Exactly, and some people don't like that. Yeah, I don't uh, like that. You don't like that. Okay, all right. Yeah, well, who needs an education, right? That's what you're thinking. Yeah. Oh. Now, (laughs) of course, the story doesn't end with the payment of the ransom because a crime had been committed and the cops would love to collar those responsible as well as the university. They want to know as well. And it was the following year, in 2020, when investigators managed to track down some of the cryptocurrency. It was sitting in the crypto wallet of a Ukrainian money launderer. <laughs>
2: hmm. um, so, okay, right. I'm going guess what happened. <laughs> well, well. well, Because hey, it's, well. still, it's still in the crypto wallet now. Well,
0: well, let's let's come to that. So when they found it in this cryptocurrency wallet, there was only about $40,000. So it was a fifth of the total money that the University of Maastricht had paid. But it was something, at least. So they got the wallet frozen, so the bad guys couldn't access it, so it it wasn't possible for them to take any of that money out. And they initiated legal processes to try and see how they could actually get the money returned to them so they could do something with it. But since 2020, what's happened is that the price of Bitcoin has not remained static. In fact, according to the university, although it was only worth 40000 when they froze it, it now contains over $500,000. I know Bitcoin prices have fallen in the last couple of months. But suddenly- that's what I was
1: going to say. So is it like <laughs> $5, $5 well, now? Well, that, that's the thing. <laughs> it, it's gone down from its height.
0: But according to Maastricht University, they say there is currently 500000 Dollars in there, which means, because remember, they spent about 200,000. So it means, although they could have spent 200,000 on their students and facilities back in late 2019, they've now more than doubled their money if they can get their hands on it. So rather than keeping it in the bank Hmm. and gaining some meager interest, they've actually got cyber criminals to hold on to their money. And it might be one of the best investments they've ever made because currently it's (laughs) $500,000. So if they're right about these numbers, and obviously Mm. they may have goofed, but if they're right about these numbers, then they could have made a great deal of money. And talking of successful crypto investments, there's also another fascinating story on Kaspersky's blog. I don't know if you read Kaspersky's blog. No one's buying their software anymore, so you might as well read their articles. And Kaspersky's blog, they talk about a scam which is going on on YouTube at the moment. Um, they say that there is a fake cryptocurrency exchange website. And word is spreading on YouTube in the form of videos and comments saying that people are saying that this cryptocurrency exchange website has a bug on it. The claim that's being made is that this particular exchange site has a vanishing decimal point bug or a bug in the exchange rate, which means that if you give the money, if you put money into the wallet on this exchange site, you can get more than 10 times your money back if you follow their instructions. Well, sign me up. Right, exactly. So they're using this idea of vulnerabilities, which we're hearing about all the time, and bugs in crypto sites, which we hear about all the time, saying, hey, quick, act fast. And the fraudsters are using bots to post comments, which are full of thanks and gratitude for the inside knowledge, and say, oh, thank you so much. I've used this, and it definitely works. And the bots are all sort of liking and upvoting each other's comments so that they appear higher and higher on the cryptocurrency uh, videos, which
2: just such they're a about. cesspit of it's shit, <laughs> isn't it? It's just
1: God. So, uh, getting back to the story about the university, yes. though, if so, uh, here's something I'm curious about. So, suppose the university pays uh, what was it? Say 200,000 Euro- 200, 200, euros yes. uh, in in cryptocurrency. So, mm. suppose they catch the bad guys mm. and they say to the bad guys you must uh, pay restitution you you must uh to, to this university are the bad guys responsible to pay the two hundred thousand euros or are they responsible to return the same number of bitcoin that was sent ah. to them ah.
2: mm. well right? because they paid in bitcoin they i mean pay, you couldn't, they, they paid yeah. in bitcoin yeah exactly
1: right right What I'm getting to here is does the university either take the loss or the windfall, depending on the direction that Bitcoin goes, Uh or could they get their, the original value back of what they had paid? I'm not sure how you would go after them, how the, the, you know, the law enforcement folks would go after them.
2: Yeah, do they take the cream on the top or just go just to mm-hmm. law enforcement? Mm-hmm. Just say, we'll just yeah. take the
0: rest. <laughs> I would certainly imagine that Maastricht University would ask for more than the ransom to be returned to them because, of course, they had other costs as well. So even right. with the $500,000, although that's a nice bump, it won't actually cover all <laughs> of their bit. costs. Yes, it won't It won't cover all of the other costs which which may have occurred. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. And I think we've seen cases before where… Uh, law enforcement authorities have sort of frozen cryptocurrency wallets or ha- had money transferred to them while it's decided where it end up.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: in the meantime have made quite a pretty packet and it's mm-hmm. there are all kinds of opportunities there for some corruption, isn't there? And, uh, especially in the, yeah. the dizzyingly complex world of cryptocurrency, which not many of us
1: understand as to where money also- could be squirreled away. It's fascinating to me how one of the selling points that the the fans of cryptocurrency will will claim is how it is out of reach of regulation and you know it, it operates in its own little world and that seems to be true right up until the moment when it's not right and, and exactly. law enforcement can as you say in your story here they are able to freeze it uh, and so how are they able to do that? I, I think at the outset, that's probably something that uh, the folks who came up with a lot of these cryptocurrencies thought they were out of reach of law enforcement, and that was one of the benefits. But that's proven to not be true. And, and we've seen cases like Colonial Pipeline,
0: where mm. you know money was stopped from getting to the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, criminals aren't entirely trustworthy. So it may be that if more than one person is involved in a particular criminal activity, um, they may choose to uh, blab a little bit mightn't they to <laughs> or, the authorities <laughs> sometimes and <laughs>
2: yeah not release your data
0: <laughs> you just can't get an honest mm-hmm. criminal these days you know you can't trust them. there is no honor
1: among thieves these days yeah <laughs> yeah it's true dave what story have you got for us this week so over the weekend, uh, the folks at uh, security company Binance, uh, they posted on Twitter that their threat intelligence had detected a billion resident records for sale on the dark web. Uh, they're saying it was likely due to a bug in an Elasticsearch deployment by a government agency. So these are records of citizens in China. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. And uh, it includes names, addresses, their national ID, mobile, uh, but very interesting police and medical records. So a lot of personal information. This could be one of the biggest um, breaches in history, Um, although interesting that it's – and I'm curious what what your take on this, the two of you, because – do we consider this to be a breach if it is the result of a misconfiguration? Is there saying that someone messed up doing this Elasticsearch database deployment mm. and left things available online, if someone stumbles across that, is that a breach? Is this a dis- distinction without a difference? What do you think? I, I think it is a breach,
0: but I think you have to assume that there's been a failure of security and the privacy mm-hmm. of that data has been breached. In some way, it's yeah. no longer it's no longer confidential. Over a billion, you said. Mm-hmm. Over a billion records. I mean, China has about what is it? It's about one and a half billion people. I think live in China. Yep. it's it's yep. it's an astonishing number, really, isn't it?
1: It is. It's hard to imagine. And uh, they're saying that this is most likely from the Shanghai National Police. Um, and uh, you too can purchase this data for t- about $200,000 on the dark web. Um,
2: What's so- interesting about this for me is I know that China has a really good method for um, getting all the information pieces from all the different governments and agencies yeah. that run into one big pot, right? Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. you have – then that's why this is quite interesting because you have all the medical records, the police information, the mobile, the national ID. You have everything about a person.
0: In a way, it's the communist ideal though, isn't it? It should be that everyone gets treated exactly the same. So if one person's going to get breached, why not breach every single person in the country? (laughs) You know, It'd be unfair if only some people got that benefit.
1: Yeah. Now, the Wall Street Journal has done some follow-up on this story. They've actually spot-checked a few of the names by calling some of the people whose phone numbers appear in the the records that are available. And uh, they check out. So at least the people that they've called it seems to be authentic um, I don't know I don't know what you do with this I mean it would, a billion <laughs> records how do you even come at that and
2: I was just thinking in my head what you do is the government buys it back right but then hmm. I come back to John Graham's story where I said you should never pay. <laughs> Damn you! Damn
0: you! (laughs) You're thinking the government should buy it with a little bit in the contracts and you agree not to sell it to anybody else?
2: Yes! (laughs) Because Uh I can
0: see see how this could be weaponized. I mean, uh, okay, you may not want to (laughs) target a billion people, but if there are particular individuals in China you wanted to target, if you know Mm -hmm. their name and address, well, now you know their mobile number as well. And so you could... Target some spyware against them, for instance. No,
2: but also you could also probably go through it and go look for the word cancer in the medical records, target them with one attack.
1: Venereal disease. Sorry, Sorry, Dave, why are you you mentioning that? (laughs) Sorry, it's my Tourette's. uh... (laughs) No.
0: Carole, what have you got for us this week?
2: Well, perfect segue, because um, I want you guys to imagine that you're two private dicks. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and you have been hired by me because I want dirt on my husband, because I think he's been stepping out on me. Mm. But when I ask, you know, he's blank faced and reassuring. So so as private detectives, what tactics might you employ to find out whether he's... Uh- Hang on. First
0: of all, can I just establish
2: which one of us is the
0: cool, handsome one and which one of us is the bumbling oaf? That'll all come out in the wash. That'll okay. all come out in okay. the wash. Okay, all right, yeah. okay. So- <laughs> I'm thinking Cagney and Lacey or Dempsey and Makepeace or something like that is the yeah. scenario mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Of. Okay, so what tactics are we going to use to… Uh, to spy on your partner yeah
2: because I want you know I want to find out whether he's mashing his face up against someone else's chest or something Ooh. right so <laughs> okay. so so As I want do. to know yeah right yeah
0: well, first okay. thing I'd do is I'd put Dave in drag at some sort of bar close to your mm-hmm. house right see if he
1: could lure so he could be a sort of agent provocateur.
2: Yeah, because Dave and I look very different from each other. So, you know, that might work.
1: Well, <laughs> especially if I was in drag, I look very different from you. <laughs> uh,
2: but but I, I'm, I would add
1: irresistible. So it would be a good honeypot there to try to to, to catch him for sure. We
0: could right. we could um, hack into his email or his social media. We could plant uh, a yeah. tracking
1: device on his car, I, maybe. Yes, that's what I was going to say. The, the, the real, the sexy one these days is stick an Apple AirTag on him. Right.
2: Okay, mm-hmm. so you guys would definitely consider hacking him to find out. Yeah, yeah, you okay. would. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so you might look for a hacker for hire, for example. Mm-hmm. 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 Interesting, because that's what we're going to talk about. Because Reuters issued last week a long-form investigative piece all about hackers for hire or digital mercenaries, because they got their mitts on a treasure trove of more than eighty thousand emails sent by an Indian hacker for hire company. Uh, Over a seven-year period, these emails were sent. And Reuters and a few security companies, including Google and Amazon, combed through these emails to come up Ah. with a few interesting little tidbits. Hmm. Before we get in, like, so who are these hacker for hire folks, right? One key characteristic is that there are people, obviously, who are experts in compromising accounts in order to exfiltrate data. Mm -hmm. And they do this as a service for someone else a bit like you bring your car to the mechanic when something is awry, right? Because, you know, your mechanic is an expert in this stuff and he's Mm -hmm. experienced. So the same goes for hackers for hire. Why, you know, why let lack of skill stop you from hacking somebody? Why let that stop you? Mm. And of course, there's different types of hackers, right? So you have individuals and organizations like so some are openly marketing their services to anyone who pays up and i don't know how that exists is it because we just don't know where they are but you know they can go out and go hot come to us we you know come we'll we'll do it for whatever 100 bucks and we'll hack your whoever's account that you want us to we don't care
1: yeah i would think it would have to be that way because Otherwise, you're going to, well, certainly here in the States, you're going to run afoul of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Mm.
2: Right. But, uh, you know, is anyone even looking at these things? I wonder because there's so many of them. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you have others that stay totally under the radar and they only sell their services to limited audiences. Hmm. And according to the report, there's a crazy hacker for higher structures. So, they work with third parties, generally private investigation services. Yeah. You know? Uh, Which acts as a proxy between the customer and the threat actor. The supply chain gives you less and less privy knowledge, right? So you can kind of just go, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. You'll have to ask Bob and Bob will go, I don't know. You'll have to ask Rick Mm. and it just goes (laughs) down the line. Mm -hmm. So who's typically uh, targeted? So the short answer is, you know, anybody can be targeted because some fee structures are very affordable, so this is where a disgruntled spouse, right, or a family member might want to dig into someone's messages to see what they've been up to. And mm. more common targets for this type of thing for hackers for hire are political activists, journalists, human mm. rights activists, and what they dubbed as high-risk users around the world. This is from Tech Target. So it's an interesting word. High-risk users is the word they used. Uh, would that be celebrities? Would a celebrity be a high-risk user? I guess these people tend to be disruptive to a particular uh, geography or people, or they're hmm. disruptive because they're telling the truth. Whistleblowers could probably be in there as yeah. well.
0: Whistleblowers, you can imagine political activists. I mean, obviously, we have seen celebrities hacked in the past. Sometimes by newspapers to try and get scoops.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, there's also, you know, corporate espionage and, you know, industrial secrets. Now, thanks to this lengthy investigation headed up by Reuters, it turns out that lawyers and attorneys are now at significant risk because hackers are hired to target them ahead of anticipated lawsuits or during litigation. Oh. Yeah. So they give a number of examples, right? So basically somewhere around like two enemy companies bickering about who has the rights to sell here or do X or Mm. whatever, or to prove that someone has been colluding with another person or another company or another entity, and that's illegal. Or you may want to get a jump on what the other party is going to present in court. And you know, basically just as this, why not hire a lawyer that hires a private investigation firm that hires a hacker to get the information for you? And then lo and behold, just before you're about to go to court, maybe the data miraculously surfaces on the Digisphere, right? Like you were just saying in your story, Dave, where the data is now available for 200 grand. Mm -hmm. Digisphere. And this rejigs the whole court case. And what's interesting about this is So, so you know, you may suspect the other side is responsible for the the leak, but you can't prove it. Mm. So anyway, very interesting. And and they also say, how do they attack their targets? And this is just a very good reminder for all of us, because basically it's email phishing and email phishing and email phishing. Hmm. It is all about email box compromise and data exfiltration. And so that doesn't mean that means they don't need malware. They just need social engineering tricks. Mm-hmm. And that's where this whole treasure trove of emails got so interesting because Reuters shared some of the contents. So, do you want to guess at some of the typical subject lines that you might see here?
1: Hmm. Uh package delivery.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's that. <laughs> there's also you've been successfully subscribed to YouPorn, <laughs> which
0: Oh. <laughs> So Fantastic. Uh, yep. mm-hmm. Sexy videos.
2: Yes. Hollywood's Scarlett Johansson latest leaked sex scandal.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, please find attached the relevant documents.
0: Oh, I'm seeing one here. It says time traveling is possible. American scientists simulate time travel with photons.
1: That would totally, I, that would totally get me. I would open that. <laughs> yes, of course. Who wouldn't? But,
2: but they also saw loads targeting law firms, right? So they are in and legal eagles. So it was like Forbes issues, top powerful lawyers, U.S. Or lawyers uh, who lead by example. Wall Street Journal asking about logistics solutions in law practice. So it's like almost hmm. like, hey, you have a press inquiry.
1: I'm curious, Graham, as a, a cybersecurity person of some note, does it happen to you uh, quite often or, or occasionally that people come to you and say, oh, Graham, could you help me get into my spouse's <laughs> phone or, oh, I've lost, I've, we've lost our password or do people reach out to you for that kind of service? Several times a week.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. If I could make some money by referring them to this hacking company in India, if I could make earn some commission, that'd be terrific. But yes.
2: Do you know, Graham, that's how we became friends, you know? Was it? Yeah. Because remember, I had this guy, it was like, I think it was around Valentine's Day and I had somebody sending me all these like woo-woo messages. Oh, "Oh, you had a Romeo, didn't you? A Romeo chat. That was the email address too. It was Romeo something at Gmail or something like that. Yeah. Mm. And I wanted to know who it was. Yes. And uh because they started getting a little bit like, I don't know if they work here. I don't you know, I thought I knew who it was and then they kind of indicated that it wasn't that person and I started Mm. freaking out. And then I was like, I'll have to go talk to that big mouth guy oh god I mean. <laughs> and then they'll look at us now Aww. look at us
0: now hacking brought us together what a delight <laughs> what a delightful meat cute story <laughs> okay, yes and it wasn't me sending you the emails just to stress that it, it wasn't.
2: <laughs> i never learned
1: right how can i get carol to come talk to me <laughs>
2: So what can you do? The answer, of course, is things like multi-factor authentication, password managers like Bitwarden, for example. But I have one I wanted to ask you guys about actually before we go. So what I think makes email dangerous is that if they got into it, most people have, what, decades of email in an address. So would it be smart for people to just clear out everything? I mean, how often do people look at emails that are over a year old? Maybe 1% of the time?
0: Well, I certainly know some of the tabloid newspapers in the UK were very keen to delete some of their old emails um, because (laughs) there might be evidence that they've been hiring hacking companies (laughs) and private investigators.
2: I just wonder whether people should think about exporting those messages if they don't want to, you know, press the delete forever button. They could just put them on a local hard drive and only access them, you know, in a different way and just have a much smaller amount of emails, you know, a smaller treasure trove. If
0: If you're going to do it, do it in coordination with your IT department because there might be rules and regulations regarding keeping some past messages and things
1: but it's so easy to be a digital pack rat these days because data storage Mm. is practically free certainly when it comes to your email and if you have like a google drive or something like that it's so cheap that there's really no bad there's no downside to just hanging on to things except for exactly what you're saying here carol that it can come back to bite you so i think the idea of going through quarterly or a couple times a year or even once a year just pick a date and clear everything out, put it somewhere where it's not available online. So it's still there if you need it, but it's not just sitting there in that massive database that is your email account.
2: Exactly. Because you may be smart now about security, but were you 10 years ago when you were using email? Just saying. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, good story. It's nice to see the other side and uh, we're not nice to see it the other side. So be wary out there. It's all about phishing emails. (laughs) I wonder what's going on with my brain today. Now, you all know that we are big fans of password managers at Smashing Security because it's an important tool for generating and saving secure credentials for every online account. Bitwarden makes it easy to stay secure and for businesses to share logins with team members and departments. Bitwarden is transparent and secure using end-to-end and zero-knowledge encryption with source code that can be scrutinized. Now you can go to bitwarden.com slash smashing and try it for free across devices as an individual user, or you can start a free trial of a Teams enterprise plan. And the thing I like about this A good password manager is robust and cost-effective as it can radically improve your chances of staying safe online all without requiring super high-tech expertise. Go to bitwarden.com slash smashing. Start your free password manager trial today.
0: And welcome back. And you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something. Like it could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Better not be. Better not be. <laughs> <laughs> well, in stereo, my pick of the week this week is not security related. Kroll, you're a fan of the cat Le Chat. Um, uh, but by Le Chat, I don't
1: mean William Shatner, of course. Dave, are you a fan of cats? No, no, I. Oh, you detest them. I know I don't have anything against cats, but I've never had a cat. Uh, I would oh, say I don't, you would, I, I don't have cat. enough. No, I would not. I don't have enough self confidence to be a cat owner. I, <laughs> I really, I need the unconditional love of a dog. I, uh, I, okay. I, okay. I cannot face the coming home from a day of work and facing the total indifference of a cat versus the adoration that comes from a dog. Yes. I'm yes. a dog person. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. If you're married, you're already used to the utter indifference when you come back from work. You don't need a cat <laughs> as well. <do> you? Wow. <laughs> mm. Sorry. Am I just speaking personally here? Yeah? Um, I'm so- just not going to comment on that, but, uh, <laughs> yep.
1: my, mm-hmm. my
0: pick of the week this week is, uh, the work of Franz Dieter Muafidin, who mm-hmm. is producing a collection of work. Uh, which has been described as giant cats disturbing civilization. So what Franz Dieter does on their Instagram account um, is they take pictures of people's cats and they then Photoshop them. So the cats are huge into, I don't know, a Godzilla-style scene in some sort of metropolis. So I'm looking right now at a cat which is sort of perched on its hind legs um, mm-hmm. on a bridge stopping waves and waves of traffic, or you might see another one where it's climbed up the post office tower in London, an homage to the goodies in the 1970s, something like that. And, Carole, as you're a cat lover, I thought you might quite like this. I know you don't have a cat at the moment.
2: You're really scraping the barrel on... What do you mean I'm scraping the barrel? No, because if anyone out
0: there... Look, I know 50% of people in the universe either like cats or hate cats, but either way, they know people who do love cats. And so they might want
2: because there's not enough cats on the internet. Here's yet another way.
0: <laughs> because Franz Dieter will take your picture of your cat oh. and will turn it into a giant cat. Will
2: she? Will she do that catzilla? with my my now dead cat? Yes. If I sent her a pretty picture
0: for about ten dollars, they will. Will you do, do it, it for
2: me as my friend? Oh, well,
0: you're not oh. prepared to pay ten dollars for this? You're not that interested in <laughs> it. Got a birthday thought, coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I think you might want to go and check out their work. I will put some links in the show notes. Carol, you need to check it out as well, because then maybe you'll actually be convinced as to the rather cool nature of some of this. And that is why that is my pick of the week. Dave, what's your pick of the week? And try and make it better than my... I was going to... I was going to say pussy action, but it just felt wrong. So, I... <laughs> it d- oh. did it
2: feel wrong? Did it? It did. did That's it? why
1: I haven't said it.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: very good. Yeah. Uh, well, I will endeavor to do better than that, as difficult as it may be. Uh, so, I will have uh, the story of two-time Academy Award winner Emma Thompson. Oh, uh, mm. love Emma! I love Emma too. I we in fact, all uh, love Emma. I think do, mm. doesn't everyone? Love, everyone does, loves is, Emma. Just Wouldn't you love to have her as a friend? Don't you yes. think she'd be just so much fun to hang out with? She's funny. She's charming. Sexy. She's smart. She is sexy. Um yes. 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 She's all things. She is just the whole package. So uh, she just came out with a new movie. Mm-hmm. It's on Hulu. It's called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. And have you in seen this it? film- Yes, I watched it
2: over the weekend. Exciting.
1: And in it, she plays a retired school teacher who has decided, uh, she's a widow, Mm. and she has decided she needs to make up for some lost time and have a little adventure in her life. So she hires a sex worker who is played by Daryl McCormick. Who is uh, just about a perfect specimen of a human being? Yeah, I
2: was just going to say you wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating crackers, would you?
1: (laughs) No, you, no, you would not. No, you would not. Um, And this, it's just a delightful movie. It is funny. It is serious. It is sad. It is sexy. Uh, Of course, Emma is. Fabulous, and the range of emotions that that she takes us through, uh, the interpersonal relationship of these two as they get introduced to each other, as they get to know each other, the evolution of their intimacy—it's really delightful. I enjoyed it very much, Uh, and of course, you know, watching Emma Thompson do anything is uh, time well spent. Uh, So I highly recommend it. Uh, Not for kids; it is a little bit sexy, but uh, for the grown-ups in the audience check it out. There's a little bit of nudity I heard, I think, in this movie. Is, would that be correct? There is. There is. And actually, you know, it's an interesting thing because Emma Thompson is being lauded for her her bravery of the amount of nudity, uh, yes. you know, no, no longer being a spring chicken. Uh, she's getting mm-hmm. a lot of credit for the nudity. And I don't know how I feel about that, in that, like, it seems to me a shame that that needs to be something that someone's brave about i mean so well does, um, he's, she's does not 20 Darryl,
0: does Daryl mccormick get his um tackle he up? does he does see he i does. would be i would be much more worried about um yes i think i'd find that rather un- unnerving to get uh, that out on camera i think
2: not if you look like Daryl mccormick graham no <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's true <laughs> There was a New York Times article uh, featuring Emma Thompson about this whole movie, and she said it was the scariest bit of her life. There's apparently a scene where she has to stand naked in front of a mirror for a while. Yep. And yep. she said that was the hardest thing she ever had to do in I her whole acting career. I have
0: to do that most mornings. It terrifies mm-hmm.
2: me. <laughs> are you Are you doing that on YouTube, though, as a live stream? <laughs>
0: Only for Patreon supporters. <laughs> oh, God.
2: That explains
1: yeah. the numbers. <laughs> but it, it's all uh, its all handled in a very delightful way. And it's one of those films. You, this could be a play. It's shot as if it's a play. It's really just the two of them in the hotel room together. Um, but it's funny and it's moving and it's touching. So uh, that is why good luck to you. Leo Grand is my pick of the week. Beautiful. Terrific. Sounds great. Crow, what's your pick of the week?
2: My pick of the week is a twofer. So number one is a podcast. Now, not an audio drama. So in fact, Graham, Dave, I think actually you both might like this one, despite the name, because it is called This Is Love. Created by Lauren Sporle and Phoebe Judge. Now, Phoebe Judge, do either of you does that ring a bell for either of you? Yeah, you've mentioned her before. Why, why, how do I know her? So she's she's the host. She also hosts another podcast called Criminal, and oh. I think she does a story at bedtime or something. I don't remember the exact name of that one, but I'll argue she has one of the greatest radio voices I've heard. Hmm. Um, so I've put a link in the show notes so you guys can have a listen and see what you think. That's Pretend really you're listening. throwing down the
0: That's gauntlet when we have Dave Bittner on the show, Carole.
2: uh Well, Dave, I think you'd agree. I think he'd agree. She's caramelly. There's an anthropologist named Dr. Helen Fisher. She studies love. She's been at it for more than 40 years. Oh. And she ah, says ooh. love is very simple. She said... Timing is important. Proximity is important. Mm. Mystery mm-hmm. is important. Ooh. She tries to understand what it means to be. Involved. Oh, my God. Asking um, people so, yes, like,
1: I could listen. I could listen to that. It's very
2: Yes. So, so, I so, mean,
1: it's not it's not Emma Thompson standing in front of a mirror. Nice, but it is nice. It's not James Mason either.
2: Wow. (laughs) No, definitely not James Mason. Um, so, so this podcast, this is love. Okay. It's like a bunch of vignettes or stories and they're, the, the stories are peppered with little interviews and they're all about like, I don't know, like, like communing. So it's not just lovers. There's, of course, stories of lovers, but there's also people that become friends, or connecting with the world or family members. It's kind of just on the border of Fromageville or Cheesetown, without stepping over the line. Are they places in Canada? <laughs> yes, that's right. So it's where we get our poutine from. Um, mm. And it's it's perfect for when you're maybe walking the dog or you need a little story before bedtime and you don't want your brain to go into a tailspin afterwards. So, uh, so the podcast is called This Is Love and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. It's great. Mm. But I said I was sneaking in another pick of the week. Well, on one of these episodes. Yes. It's an episode called Cain's Jawbone. Does that ring a bell to either of you that term? Oh, oh. Kane's Jawbone. Yes. Don't look, look it up, bell, but Graham. I'm not sure why.
0: No, no, no. Oh, I can't remember. No, this does ring a bell. I think we've talked about this maybe
2: before. Okay. Detective book written in nineteen thirty-two, and it's hmm. big thing is that all the pages are out of order. And your yes. job is to put the hundred pages in the right order and find out who the killer is or yes. are. And if you do, you are to send the information to the publisher, and only three people are known to have solved it.
0: <laughs> only three people could be asked.
2: <laughs> Gotta have a gimmick. <laughs> it kind of fell out of publication or kind of favor, but it, it got revived. Surprise. Thanks to TikTok. <laughs> Can't imagine why. <laughs> and I learned all about it on This Is Love because there's an episode called Cain's Jawbone and it's fascinating. And I'm buying the book for my husband because that's something he's good at. He's going to crack this before he dies. Is he going to
0: have to tear the pages out of the book?
2: Yes, they have. Apparently, they're not perforated anymore, but they, you know, but they have little lines. I just think PDF, right? We need a PDF of this because well, then
1: you just print it out. I find it fascinating that you're buying this for someone else to solve. (laughs) It's typical.
2: (laughs) Graham, you can totally, you totally see that he has the right brain. Apparently there's loads of cryptic crossword clues in it as well, right? It's totally for his kind of brain. A hundred percent. I think he'd love it. So that's my double pick of the week. And I'll let you guys know how I get on once he receives it. See if he, Mm. you know, Mm. kicks his heels together.
0: Terrific. Well, that just about wraps up the show for this week. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online and find out what you're up to. What's the best way for folks to do that?
1: Well, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Bittner, B-I-T-T-N-E-R, and everything else is over at thecyberwire.com.
0: Marvellous. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity, no G. Twitter and last have a G, and we also have a Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget... To ensure you never miss another episode, follow Smashing Security in your favourite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify.
2: And huge, huge thank you to this episode's sponsor, Bitwarden, and to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest lists, and the entire back catalogue of more than 281 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com.
0: Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye bird 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 is a word that's what I normally
1: have to listen to people no I saw the Elvis movie over the weekend by the way
0: oh really now tell me about
1: that it's all right it's a bit long and a bit and uh, it's a bit, a bit of a mess but I like Baz Luhrmann as a director. I think he's very bold, and so mm-hmm. I tend to like his style, and I enjoyed mm-hmm. that, but this movie was... too